0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This
1: is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship, and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Week one, game week, getting you started here on Monday. A uh, lot to get to. We've got news, starting quarterbacks. We've got some attrition from the disciplinary angle. We've got an all-new, updated, fresh team talent composite from 24 7 sports um, and uh, as as you probably know from uh, clicking on this episode of the award-winning cover three podcast uh, we are going to be predicting our overreactions for week one barton simmons how we doing
1: uh great man um you know we got a little our, our we got our late night pot in on saturday night and in true college football fashion like uh, you probably could have waited till 3.30 a.m. To, to finish that thing up and, and get that Hawaii-Arizona game in the mix. Hell of a finish there. So uh, just a nice two-for-two two weekend in, uh, in college football.
0: Oh, I mean, you, you can go ahead and, and stretch it out. You know, Villanova putting in the work on Colgate in the nooner of that, uh, of that lovely day. Uh, all right, so very as, – as, uh, as, as a Nashville resident – It was a little Music City Miracle, not Music City Miracle-esque. It was Tennessee Titans in the Super Bowl. Kevin Dyson-esque as Khalil Tate takes off running on the final play, comes up one yard short of a potential game-tying touchdown. Hawaii wins as a double-digit underdog. Uh, Before we get into some of that news, since, as you mentioned, you know, we were sitting here... uh, recording late night, Saturday night thinking like, all right, well, Hawaii's up for now, but you know, we'll see when Arizona comes back. Uh, This, this is a a startling result on paper, but the way the game played out, I think that um, I I feel like there's two, two sides to this, right? There's a Hawaii story and there's an Arizona story. Which one do you think is the one that is lingered with you the most since uh, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning?
1: I mean, I would say the Arizona story is the – I mean, Hawaii was always going to be a um, an engaging team this year, one to watch, one to keep your eye on. I think the fact that Arizona couldn't win that game is is more troubling for Arizona than it is exciting for Hawaii. It's also a little troubling for the old Barton Simmons Oregon state over bet. Uh, <laughs> that that's going to be a, that's going to be a tempting um, point total play as well. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to stop anybody in that game, but uh, but no, I, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more concerned with Arizona um, coming out the box week one, year two. And after a disappointing year one with Kevin Sumlin, uh, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know where the optimism, optimism is right now for Arizona fans
0: to me, I think, uh, and and listen, I got to admit this, um, you know, here on the Cover 3 podcast, like live, I did not see uh, probably, let's see, the last thing that I really remember as I, I got horizontal on the couch as the fourth quarter started. And then it was like you know 4 a.m. and my wife was waking me up and saying you fell asleep on the couch watching football. So I missed it. I missed it live. I had to watch it the highlights the next morning. But to that point, my thoughts were along the lines that I thought Arizona offensively um, was. I thought Khalil Tate was playing pretty good. I thought offensively they they looked like there was some cohesion there. But the the big alarms for me for the Wildcats are like, well, that's that is not good if uh, Arizona is going to have to go in and outscore every single team they play. Not every single team they play is going to have the um, the kind of offense that is going to stress a defense quite like Hawaii's run and shoot. But it, like, there are a lot of explosive playmakers. In the Pac-12 South, there are a lot of great quarterbacks. There's a lot of great wide receivers. I mean, there's a, a very good chance that this Arizona defense is going to end up being uh, the, the point of criticism. And so, offensively, I kind of gave the Wildcats some check marks, but if, if they don't get that defense in order, then this might be another team that – this might be a team that spends the holiday season at home.
1: Yeah, I was more unimpressed with with Arizona's defense than I was impressed with Hawaii's offense. I, I I don't want to take anything away from Cole McDonald or that offense, but I didn't look at that and be like, "Holy cow, this Cole McDonald dude is is all the way legit." I was more like, "Well, this is kind of a fun fun little offense to watch, <laughs> and Arizona can't stop this fun little offense."
0: Yeah. Um all right so and uh, I will mention by the way uh, our our colleague Tom Fernelli did call Hawaii as a dark horse in the Mountain West West that's looking uh that's looking even better uh, by the day let's uh let's get into some news real quick Jacob Eason named the starting quarterback at Washington and it's followed by the news that Jake Hayner uh, will transfer. Our comments from Chris Peterson include the you know, bully. I Jake Hayner can play. He's going to go somewhere where he can play. Seems as though that's the, you know, I understand what you're doing. You got a lot, but you just you didn't end up winning this job. The takeaways for me. I think that the Jacob Eason was named QB. One is probably um, it. It doesn't give me a great amount of confidence, but it keeps me from putting warning signs up because he was just so much more of a a physical... uh, When you were comparing Hayner against Eason. Uh, You know, Eason's the 6'6", big, prototypical, uh, you know, NFL quarterback size. He's got the big arm, and, and Jay Kaner, you know, had a little bit more athleticism to it, but lacked some of those physical traits in terms of arm strength and size himself. So if Eason didn't win that job, I was going to feel a little bit concerned about Washington's offense, but the fact that he did win that job doesn't necessarily have me um penciling the the washington offense in as the most dangerous offensive unit in the pac-12 yeah
1: i mean i i think the i mean now look I, i'm not surprised he won the job i expected to win the job i think that he needed to win the job and washington has probably more upside with him under center they're kind of the same team as jake browning with jake hayner in a lot of ways uh i'm more intrigued by this sort of transfer out i mean jake hayner I mean, th- this is – I feel like in sometimes these co- coaches um, stretch out these quarterback competitions for the sole purpose of keeping a guy on the roster. And if they had known all along that Jake Hayner was going to transfer, if the guy they probably suspected all along was going to win the job than Jacob Eason – man, it would have been a lot easier to just name him the dang quarterback back in the spring, let him get all those one reps, let him get all those one reps in the, in the preseason. And now, I mean, they they, they were split it among like five quarterbacks in the spring, and then they're, they've been splitting it between two in the preseason. And I'm just, you know, I, I, I am, I'm always uh, in support of a player that just wants to go play. And get on the field, and so I don't, I don't hold it against Jake Hayner, but it is sort of surprising in a way. Like this felt like a perfect example of a of a quarterback that's been in the program, um, battle for a job, the 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 more talented guy wins it, and now, you know, he sits and and plays a role for a year, and and then who knows after that, um, you know, this this to me is 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 really interesting that he's like in like week one preparation he is out the door um, and I, I just I wonder what that says about sort of the quarterback room in general the I don't know the camaraderie within the the program because you know remember this Colson Yankoff transferred in the spring Jack Sermon transferred and then came back um, and I just think this is a really kind of interesting. One for me. I mean, transfers are never surprising anymore, but I, I don't know that I necessarily saw Jay Hainer bouncing as soon as he didn't win the job.
0: That is a very fair um, comment to make because it goes back to our Jonathan Smith-related observations, right? Where, right. yeah, he was the he was the offensive coordinator, but like even more specifically, if I'm correct, he was the quarterbacks coach there. And now, like, what is what is the the vibe in that room. What ha, like this is potentially like an issue for Washington's Pac-12 championship hopes if Jacob Eason gets hurt, which he did last year. Not last year, he did two years ago in the first or second game of the season. Like there is uh, a little bit of um, you know. A, not only is is Jacob Eason out there, and people are counting on you to to be an upgrade from Jake Browning. But now uh, it is all on you because if anything happens to Jacob Eason, now all of a sudden we've lost what I kind of assumed to be, like you mentioned, a, a, a pretty good option uh, in Jay Kaner. The, some of the reports that were coming out of uh, early fall camp, and you know they don't get a, a lot to observe from uh, from Chris Peterson's program, but it was, you know, Eason has uh, physical skills and the fact that he's got a bigger arm and a stronger arm means that he can fit the ball into some tighter windows than Jake Kaner can. But you know, maybe there's a, you know, still even after all this time, like, the the offense hasn't all clicked. He doesn't shown total command of it. Jake Hayner's a gamer. You know, I I saw some complimentary pieces there. And for Hayner to be out the door so quickly, I suppose that some of this is within the context of preserving eligibility. But still, that's uh, that that has got to make for some kind of, um, you know, behind the scenes, pers- interpersonal relationship questions within the Washington program. I think those are totally fair.
1: So help me with this, all right? College football playoffs. So last year, Clemson wins the national championship. Trevor Lawrence was their backup quarterback to start the year. Um, in two thousand and eight, seventeen, eighteen, Alabama's backup Tua comes in to beat Georgia's backup. Jake Fromm, right? Because Fromm was the backup to Eason. Two was the backup to Hertz. Uh, in 2016-17, um, Clemson, and Deshaun Watson beats Alabama, where Jalen Hurts started the season as their backup quarterback. Correct?
0: uh is that Jalen's freshman year? That would have been freshman.
1: uh maybe I'm. So maybe, did Jalen win it as his his uh? his
0: freshman year it took him 2 to 3 games um but after like i they headed it was one of those that we had like 3 or 4 years in a row where alabama had a quarterback battle that Saban so would Jake, play yeah, multiples so that was a year, so was a year yeah. yeah
1: so so hurts that was the year he came in there for Blake Barnett and those guys and then year before that was the year Jacob Coke Jake Coker beat clemson um and and then Ohio State won it with their third stringer so my point is just just offhand here like without even digging in one two three four five in the five college football playoffs four of them at least one team maybe more that I haven't really identified at least one team has had a backup quarterback lead them to the college football playoffs or win a game in the college football playoffs so the idea now that the the backup quarterback position is just transfer city, is is a isn't consistent with what actually takes place on the field and what actually is important. So some of these guys, I do think, and again, I'm typically on the side of the, I know. Of the, the, the player. I know some of these guys, I think, are, are 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 missing the idea of like being on a really good team where everyone matters and you may be needed somewhere along the way. And so that, that one, I think this, like this one sort of dings, me, dings Washington a little bit for me. Uh, even though Jay Kahner wasn't going to be a starter, I do have a little bit less confidence just in Washington being able to absorb the, the blows of, of a 12-game season.
0: The, the voice of Dave Clawson ringing in my head. Well, every single year that we've been here, we've had to use two quarterbacks.
1: that's that's i like your dave clausen impression
0: the uh i mean but it's true like i mean it's just with with what we are seeing right now you've got to have you've got to have some quarterback depth um and and maybe perhaps that will come up at the end of the show when we're talking about uh our overreactions okay more quarterback news james blackman uh named the starting quarterback at florida state over alex Hornybrook. it i i looked at this as now, what was expected, and if James Blackman was not named the starting quarterback, I would have been alarmed.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think this is this is in line with what I would have expected, and this would have been a you know dockum of a game or a or a half game at least if somehow Alex Hornibrook comes out of that battle winning the starting job. So I'd have been concerned if it wasn't James Blackman.
0: Do you feel the same way about Jack Cohn over Graham Mertz? Graham Mertz.
1: I mean, it has it has started to trend that way, so I'm not surprised. Um, I'm almost indifferent. I, I I don't have high expectations for anybody in that quarterback room. I think Mertz probably has some upside long term, but I'd, Mertz was not one of these true freshmen that I was like, you know, that 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 I think unlocks something that the upperclassmen don't for Wisconsin. I think. I think Cone's probably the safe pick, and um, you know what? You're betting on Wisconsin and sort of that run game, safe pick. uh, You know, they'll do what we expect kind of mentality anyways. So, yeah, that sounds about right.
0: Um, All right. What about keeping it in the Big Ten at Penn State? Sean Clifford is named the starting quarterback. Uh, We've talked a lot about the – you know whether it's uh, whether it's KJ Hamler, whether it's Micah Parsons. I, there's a lot of blue-chippers that we're expecting to explode. Where does Sean Clifford fit uh, among a Penn State team that I I do not call them anonymous as a way to knock it. I just don't think that many of the Penn State key players are at a point of national recognition. And again, I'm, I'm curious and I'm excited and I'm open-minded uh, to, to checking out how the 2019 Nittany Lions team changes our thoughts on that program, on James Franklin, so on and so forth. What kind of role do you think Sean Clifford plays in that offense?
1: Well, I think um, – I mean, the, the, words, the, the words you typically hear, I typically hear from Sean Clifford is that he's, he's got great intangibles and leadership qualities. So that's encouraging. I mean, because you're losing a guy with off the charts, intangibles and leadership qualities and trace McSorley. I don't, I don't know that I see any games where Sean Clifford's putting Penn State on his shoulders, but I I probably don't see many games where he's losing it for him. So um, again, I think Sean Clifford, if you're betting on Penn State's talent, I think he allows you to continue to feel good about that bet. But I don't think you, you know, you're. Again, I don't think you're lumping another win onto their plate because of Sean Clifford.
0: Um, and Mississippi State, Joe Moorhead style. Uh, Miss, we've got former Penn State quarterback Tommy Stevens named the starting quarterback. Keton Thompson was the backup for Nick Fitzgerald, and also right there in the mix with Tommy Stevens, he has decided to transfer as well. Do you put the same kind of uh, Washington esque scrutiny on that transaction?
1: A little bit. I mean, this is, I wonder what the backstory is. Like, is Garrett Schrader, their true freshman, looking really good or something? Because Tommy Stevens only got one year. Uh, Keaton Thompson still got, um, you know, after this season. Uh, I don't have his profile from me. I think he's a redshirt sophomore this year. If that sound right. Um, but he, he, either way, he's got two more years of eligibility left after this. I think that's right. I don't think he's got Scott. I thought that's one more year. So, um, so I don't. So I don't get that. You know, you got you, you sit this year, and then it's your team. Um, Tommy Stevens was a one-year fix. Uh, so maybe he's just feeling like the offense doesn't fit him because he is more of a Dan Mullen, big-bodied, sort of run game quarterback, and I think. Moorhead likes the sort of quick thinking, um, quick pass game RPO quarterback. And Thompson is a long, sort of uh, lumbering, bigger physical guy that is, is, you know, you can totally see working in a Dan Mullen offense, but maybe it's not quite the same fit for Joe Moorhead. But that one was interesting to me because, again, it's only a one year layover here for him.
0: And then over the weekend, Bryce Thompson, uh, the breakout freshman star cornerback, uh, part of that. Uh, part of that secondary that here on the Cover 3 podcast, we've been talking about the the Tennessee secondary has really been coming along. The coaches are have been pretty excited about their development. Bryce Thompson get, has an incident with his girlfriend on campus, lands with misdemeanor domestic violence charges. Uh, Tennessee has released a statement. Is he suspended indefinitely, I'm guessing? Yes. Suspe- su- suspended indefinitely. This is... Uh, because he's because he's a unique talent. This is definitely a big setback for the Vols. But I also know, if I remember correctly from a recent camp buzz or our our freshman preseason All America team, uh, there are at least a couple options to come in for them, right?
1: Yeah, I think this helps that Warren Burrell has emerged in camp. I, you know, ironically, Burrell was looking like he might be positioned to to beat out Alante Taylor, the other corner with Bryce Thompson still ma- maintaining his spot. But Thompson has – I think, he, you know, he's in the return game some too. Um, I mean, for a team that needs every player, this is – you know, they're going to need him back on the field. Um, and so this is uh, – Tennessee is still building depth. Um, I actually went over to Knoxville last week and, and, you know, just the word around there. I mean, I, they love their incoming freshman class like great, great um, football character and culture that they've added in this freshman class, a bunch of guys that are going to contribute. but the reality is they're still freshmen and that was a guy in Bryce Thompson or is a guy in Bryce Thompson that had a had a really good year last year as a true freshman. So um, they, they need all the they need all those guys they can get because Emmett Gooden's out. For for on, for the year with an ACL, uh, a guy that was going to be a big time player for them on the defensive line, um, you know, and so it's just a that's just the type of program right now that is is scraping this thing together, heading in the right direction, but they need guys like that to be, be on the field.
0: Coming up on the other side, the new team talent composite and predicting our over reactions for week one next. Well we ask for it, we reference it. Uh it is one of the great indicators of what the makeup of a roster is. And it is the team talent composite. Uh one thing that I love, Barton, about the twenty four seven sports team talent composite is that so much work is put into it in, in terms of updating all along the way because, you know, back before this wonderful tool was in our lives, I, I had an Excel spreadsheet where I was calculating, uh, like cumulative, uh, like recruiting class rankings as a way to try to find out, you know, who had the most talent. But in truth, especially in this transfer portal era, that is not totally representative of the makeups. I mean, let's, let's just look at what this past Florida class, which is lost more than a handful of its players, uh, either for disciplinary measures or to transfer. So recruiting class rankings might mean nothing. Even one year later, the team total composite takes the high school or the prospect ratings of a lot of these players and takes those into consideration, but also the current makeup of the roster. It's hard work. Barton, y'all, y'all put it in on uh, on the on the data side of this to be able to produce a more well rounded and honest look at uh, who's got the most talented rosters in the country.
1: Yeah, my guy uh, Chad Carson in the twenty four seven office, who is the the database guru, has had his foot up the tech team's ass this week, last couple <laughs> weeks, last month, trying to get this thing done. Um, But, yeah, like that's like you said, this is this is a reflection not of sort of a compilation of recruiting classes, but an actual snapshot of what is on the actual roster from a high school rankings perspective. And so it gives you a little bit of a sense on how talented teams are. And it also gives you a little sense on trajectory, too, if you sort of look at it year over year, where teams are trending. Um, so anyways, I thought it, was, it's, it, it can be really telling and, and instructive. Um, a couple of things that jumped out to me. Um, first of all, Ohio State, number two, Alabama's number one, no surprise there. Ohio State is number two. Um, they were number one last year, actually. And so that's part of the reason why I keep on being bullish on Ohio state is this bet on them being more talented. than I think of people are giving them credit for that. They can absorb the loss of urban Meyer, at least in year one, because they just are there. It's a, it's a really, really talented roster. Now we just, we got to see if Justin Fields can, can deliver. Um, but, Ohio State at two, you know, Clemson at nine. Not a big surprise that they're not higher because as many of those five stars as they've got, and they have seven five stars on the roster, which is tied for fourth best of any program. Um, but they are. They also sort of supplement those with a lot of back end three star type guys, and I think that's part of the secret sauce for for Clemson is the culture building you know, they they will absolutely get locker room guys and guys that are going to – not necessarily be NFL guys, but be good college players and, and blend those with with the first rounders. Um, so – and, and then I think when you look at sort of the outliers, USC at number four, that's – hey, that's what you're betting on, right, Chip?
0: Mm-hmm. That is 100% the USC bet because – Talent's going to win. You speed them up, they're going to go. Are you feeling any better about my bet? I mean, I, no, because I knew that. And, and I still think, I still
1: get your bet. I just, I've just made it before. I made it last year and I lost. And so I'm, I'm a little bit sour. But, I mean, there's some, I think, like USC, while they're still number four, they're number four with an arrow pointing down. Like they're, they're. Their rating, their point total, is lower than it was last year. They'll be thinner, uh, particularly like in on the defensive back end, um, and and so there's still some holes there. But yeah, I mean, if 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 they're if they maximize that talent, they're they're pretty hard to they're gonna be hard to handle. I mean, Florida State.
0: To- I was going to say, totally putting words in your mouth. What I've gotten as we've debated this across many platforms over the last several weeks is that you just think USC is soft. You just think they're yeah. too soft to win. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, they're, and you can be soft and win, win some games, but I think you can't be soft and win the, the really meaningful ones. Yep. A um, couple other things. So Penn State's trajectory, 2016, they were 20th in the team talent composite. They're 19th in 2017, 13th in 2018, 11th in 2019, and I don't even think that's like a like. Sometimes if these if these rosters are, you know, these rosters can be sort of backloaded, or front-loaded. I don't know what the right term would be here, but basically like freshman heavy. Right. Like you have some really good b- freshman classes coming in, and how much can a freshman class really impact? I think Penn State is not necessarily like this inflated roster with a bunch of freshmen. Like I think they're the, the, these guys that have them 11th in the team talent composite are like redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores, um, guys in like second or third year in the program ready to be the next, next guys up. So I think that's encouraging for Penn State. Uh, two other trajectories that look good, Texas – went from 11 to 13 to 9 to 6. Whew. Oklahoma 18 to 16 to 11 to 7. So the like that's eye-opening to think that this is clearly Oklahoma's most talented team that Lincoln Riley has had if you're talking about just pure raw talent.
0: Who's All right, so with Texas at 6, Oklahoma at 7, um like you know, sitting there above a Florida State, a Clemson, a Michigan, Penn State, and even ahead of an Auburn, as Texas and Oklahoma are getting these recruiting wins and these upward trajectories. Um, not to go all zero sum on this, but do you have an idea of what programs or what what like who's if they're making these gains? Who, who's falling behind or, or who was being able to to get into these recruiting areas and, and no longer is locking those down as Tom Herman and Lincoln Riley have things moving in that direction
1: well I mean I think I mean one program I didn't look at their trajectory but like and I and I that's why this battle is going to start getting interesting now. And I think that's why it's so heated even though they don't play, but Texas A&M is is obviously sort of the market share that Texas is battling for. And they've had similar recruiting classes this past year, but A&M I think we're seeing, we're seeing this like I mean, I'm pulling up right now. A&M was they're 23. They were 16 last year. Um and let me see what they were in 2017. Uh they were 15 before that. So Texas a and m is actually one that this year's roster is their least on paper again, is their' least talented in the last few. Um, so that's a spot. Uh, you know, I think some of the, like I'm just like old Miss is, is trending down. Florida is sort of trending down a little bit. Um, And I think you just, with the Texas and and Oklahoma ones, they're just sort of further distancing, like widening the gap between 1A, 1B, and 3 in the Big 12, whether that be TCU, Baylor, whoever else. Those teams are just sort of getting the Big 12 crop, and then everyone else is fighting over the
0: rest. Um, any, any other big takeaways from the team talent composite?
1: Uh, couple of conference by conference ones that jumped out in the big 10, the number four most talented team in the big 10, who would you guess it is? I guess you're looking at the sheet, but who off top of your head, who would you guess is the fourth most talented team in the big 10 after Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state.
0: Um, is it Nebraska? I saw them at 24. That just happens to be where I'm at.
1: It is Nebraska. So, Guess who's
0: fifth? Uh, Okay. I don't have that. I'm going to say not Michigan State. I'm going to say that it's Wisconsin.
1: It's Maryland. Oh! So that's kind of interesting. Like maybe Maryland's not like quite as deplete, like just bone dry as they're – being presented to be um, but you know and they had a pretty good class last year but i thought that was interesting nebraska four maryland at five uh, the other one i thought was interesting the pac-12 arizona state is above utah colorado state is right behind utah in the pac-12 and arizona only washington state is is less talented on paper than Arizona. And I don't think anything, Yeah, I, nothing matters in terms of Washington state on paper. Like that's just, they are what they are. Um, Arizona state's less talented than Oregon state. I'm sorry. Arizona is less talented than Oregon state.
0: And Arizona state is ahead of Utah.
1: That's right. Mm. Like I think Arizona state, if, if Jaden Daniels is pretty good this year, I think they could be a real sleeper in the Pac-12.
0: See, for me in the Pac-12, it's that UCLA is still sitting out here with a top 25 talent roster.
1: Yeah, but it's arrow pointing down. But, I mean, you, that, that sort of is
0: – Is that left arrow- over Jim Mora? Yeah. Right.
1: So it's sort of like they're, they're getting less talented on paper, but they're getting developed at a higher level. So you, it almost is a push.
0: That's that's where it gets a little tricky because uh, just like with the we see this with the recruiting rankings you know programs like uh, you know South Carolina Arkansas Ole Miss uh, you are nationally scoring uh, it at a higher rate than a lot of the teams that are occupying your space in other power five conferences. The sec as a whole on paper is scoring better in the recruiting rankings than pretty much any other conference, but yet you are still playing a majority of your schedule against those conference opponents. So while a team like South Carolina is going into this season with the number 20 team talent composite roster, they're going up against the number one, toughest effing schedule in the entire country and so how are you going to expect that south carolina team to come out on top when a majority of those uh a majority of the opponents for that number 20 team talent composite roster are actually in spaces one through 19
1: yeah and like another one that's interesting to me is uh you know mississippi state up there right behind south carolina at 21 they're above A and and everyone's sort of penciling in A and M as this dark horse and and written off Mississippi State. Like on paper, Mississippi State isn't shouldn't be the underdog there. Um, I mean, unless you're just saying Kellen Mond is clearly the better quarterback than Tommy Stevens, and he might be, but Mississippi State has enough horses to go beat some of these teams uh, that they're kind of getting getting logged for as a loss for, uh, but. But, you know, generally speaking, it's uh, – I mean, what I've been saying most of the year is the, the teams, I think, that are national title uh, contender, playoff contender, you know, beat Alabama contenders, are Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, LSU, uh, and that's about it. Oklahoma? You know, throw, throw Oklahoma in there.
0: Yeah, throw Oklahoma in there. Yeah. So
1: that that gives you, what, six of the top nine – in the team talent
0: composite. Mm, good stuff. Uh, all right. So be sure head on over 24 seven sports.com so that you can see uh, the full updated team talent composite and yell at Barton. If you think that your team is too low or if the math is bad, that is at Barton Simmons at Barton Simmons for all <laughs> of your complaints about the team talent composite. All right. Time to make some predictions for overreactions. I've got six here on, uh, on my pad. Predictions for what our overreactions will be after week one. Uh, do you want to go first? I will see uh, to you first. Okay. Uh, this one is for the Sunday night uh, showcase in week one. Oklahoma and Houston. I think that our overreaction coming out of that game is going to be some panic alarms for the Oklahoma offense. And while I'm I sticking to my Oklahoma national champion, I'm sticking to my Jalen Hurts um, Heisman Trophy and my Lincoln Riley Coach of the Year, just the the full hit your wagon, boomer sooner, ready to go. I bet that with all the turnover on that offensive line with Jalen Hurts under center, uh, a few new wide receivers in the mix as well. I think that Oklahoma's offense, the way that I see this game playing out is that it might sputter a little. Things things might not be totally in a rhythm. We might have some false starts. We might have some clunky drives as they're trying to to get up and get moving and get in a flow. And again, as this group will be compared to a record setting, a historically great Oklahoma offense led by Kyler Murray a year ago. I think our overreaction, which again, as you can tell by my uh, by my setup, I I think is probably gonna be unfounded by the time we get 12 13 games under our belt but i think the overreaction is going to be uh the the step back that lincoln riley was asked about when he laughed off the question at the big 12 media day i think the overreaction is going to be about oklahoma's offense taking a step back
1: i'm surprised i thought when you started just opening with the oklahoma houston game i thought you're your overreaction was going to be that the defense is as, as terrible as ever. <laughs> and because I think Houston's going to be able to score. Sure. I think you you know, I think Houston's defense gives me very little confidence that they will challenge Oklahoma's offense to the point where we will see hiccups in that. Like I think the I my expectation for that is that the uh, Oklahoma offense is going to look pretty good. Um, so, you, so you you think you, uh, that Houston can 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 trip them up a little bit, huh?
0: Yeah, I, I was. I don't. I don't think it's Houston. I think it's going to be self-inflicted. I'm looking at four new offensive line starters. I'm looking at a new quarterback, and I just I think you get out there in in that game and in that moment, and the first half just might not be smooth sailing. I mean, it it is really uh it is a prediction of an overreaction based on number one, all of the new faces that are going to be out there, uh, with the, their first crack at sky high expectations. And number two, the fact that we are going to be comparing this offense to the last thing that we remember, which was Kyler Murray and that group lighting the world on fire. So the, the overreaction, which again, I believe is probably just going to be just that an overreaction is that there has been some kind of step back for Oklahoma's offense.
1: Um, okay. Uh, so my first overreaction is the overreaction that Justin Fields sucks.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Okay. I had on mine overreaction. Justin Fields is the Heisman front runner. (laughs) are you all right so go go for it you think fau is gonna be out here oh this is this is tasty (laughs) again we're talking over overreaction yes
1: this is this is the 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 justin Fields is a bust people are gonna come out of the woodwork because he's not perfect sure like there's gonna be i think he's probably gonna have i don't know 80 yards rushing and throw for 250 yards and four touchdowns you know but he's gonna miss badly a few times he's gonna throw a couple interceptions maybe uh I just think it might might not be pretty initially and I am I am here to tell you that I if I get if, if I because if, if, I, I picked Ohio State in the playoffs so what I want you to do, Chip, is if I come back to the reaction pod, if, I'm, if we have the Saturday night reaction pod, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. Justin Fields is not who we thought he was. You need to tell me you're, you're overreacting. Because <laughs> Justin Fields has plenty of time to get this thing figured out, and Ryan Day is going to get him better day by day, 1% every day. One. And uh, and so I think there's going to be a lot of people looking to pick his game apart in week one.
0: I had him penciled in as Justin Fields as the Heisman front runner uh, because I think that FAU is going to have absolutely nothing uh, to stop Justin Fields. And I think that Ryan Day in his time as an offensive coordinator, when Ohio State has played these teams with lesser talent, I mean – just lighting up the scoreboard. I I'm picturing like two touchdown tosses to Garrett Wilson, one or two touchdown runs. Like I, I, I totally understand that if you're basing it on the, what is it? Justin Fields only has like 17, uh, career starts. That's right. 17 career starts. If you, if you're going to base it that, you know, maybe he's not going to be perfect out of the, out of the gate. I, I guess I could see it, but the way that Ohio state games have gone against these non-conference opponents, I just I feel like it's always uh, just touchdown dances and celebrations. So my overreaction is that Justin Fields is the new Heisman front runner.
1: Well, cons- you know, in light of my playoff pick, I, I hope that your yours is the overreaction that we have to to, to temper, not mine.
0: <coughs> um. All right, my uh, my 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 next overreaction is and this might be a, a little a little tease or a hint at, at, at one of these games that I'm already starting to meditate on for our week one locks. My overreaction, again, not something that I believe will be uh, proven true over the entire season, but my overreaction from week one is guessing that we're coming out of it wondering if Stanford has lost its edge, if we have – if we have finally uh, in, in the graph of, of sustained success over time, if we have finally entered a little bit of a dip, because the, you know, if you'll remember my refrain from the, the PAC 12 win totals, I was like, you know, why do we believe that Stanford all of a sudden is not going to be one of these teams that flirts with double digit wins? Because for the most part in the David Shaw era, that's been about all we've got, but I'm looking at that Northwestern game. And the more that I'm just kind of humming around it, I McMahon, mean, I think I think Northwestern Northwestern can go and win that game. They can go on the road and go win that game. And if Northwestern does win that game, well then, uh, yeah. As because I think right now Stanford's like six and a half point favorite. If Northwestern goes to Stanford as a underdog of about a touchdown and wins outright, then I think an overreaction and you know, interesting talking point, but certainly overreaction is that Stanford has lost its edge.
1: Okay. So, but that will be a talking point. Are you saying that you believe it will be an overreaction or will it be an appropriate reaction if that happens?
0: I think it's an overreaction because the picking Northwestern to win that game to me is as much about North or more about Northwestern than it is about Stanford.
1: I was. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, this was at the very early stages of uh, preseason camp. I talked to somebody uh, at Stanford, and you know, the one of the things they said about the program was like, or this team was that, that there was a feeling that there was really good leadership, like an like much uh, deeper leadership on the roster they've had in a few years and uh, that they think they're going to be really good. Uh, <clears throat> that could either be the type of thing that you know we, we can't really predict and it's, it is the kind of prelude to this breakout season or it could be this total load of you know what because their players aren't as good as they typically are. And so they're like trying to find silver linings, you know, I, maybe it's somewhere in the middle because remember this is still the team that has like the 2017 recruiting class for Stanford had the number one offensive tackle, the number three offensive tackle, the number one tight end, the number one quarterback, uh, the like Paulson, a Debo at, at corner. Like it was like a 12 man class. And every one of those guys was like the number one player in their position. So, this should be a good year for Stanford, even though that class was small. This is that class coming of age. Um, but we've talked about this before. Like, I've been a little bit concerned with the – Identity the, crisis. The, the identity, the trajectory, kind of just – so we'll learn a lot about this Stanford team in week one. We'll learn a lot about Northwestern too. Um, but that is that is definitely one of the more intriguing games. Because when, when I hear people talk about um, sort of – like schedules and projecting out what teams are going to do. Like Stanford is, is tossed around as like one of the elite teams that you have to look out for when you're sort of like, you know, when you're talking about Notre Dame or someone, well, they play Michigan and they play um, Georgia and they play Stanford. You know, it's like, all right. So Stanford's still up there uh, in some people's minds. We'll, We'll find out real soon if they deserve to be in week one.
0: Uh, all right, what you got? Uh, all right,
1: this one is gonna. This one is an overreaction that,
0: um,
1: is is uh. Well, actually, I'll, I'll just cut this into two. One is Utah is not a Pac-12 title contender. Mm-hmm. That's one overreaction.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I believe that is an overreaction because I think Utah can be really good and the best team in the Pac-12 win the Pac-12 and they can also still play a really close game against BYU and maybe even lose it. Right. You know, like that is going to be a dangerous, dangerous game for that program. And so regardless of the outcome, like if Utah goes and, and, and boat races BYU, then all right, great. I mean, I'll take it. Um, but if Utah goes and barely wins, or even if Utah goes and loses, I will not yet be willing to back off of my stance as Utah is the best team in the Pac-12.
0: Yeah, doesn't it? It feels like uh, for for reasons that I am absolutely saying is a a big time like rivalry reasons. I I consider that a standalone game for Utah. Win, lose, you know, win by a bunch, lose by a bunch. There's just there. There's way too much uh, extra stuff packed into BYU Utah for me to feel like that is going to be an indicator of how the the team is going to perform or how opponents are going to perform going up against the Utes in Pac-12 play. Abs 100% with you. Like and you mentioned the the if they boat race BYU like I'm 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 kind of like I'm not going to come out of a a 21 point Utah win over BYU feeling like that has affirmed any any belief in what Utah could be. It's just there's there's a lot of there's a lot of meaning that's packed into that game uh, and and I expect it to be so intense and so tight and and so hard fought that I'm thrilled about it. I'm excited. I think it's gonna be the best game of the night that night or the one that I am at least the most excited for. but yeah, I, it's got to be a standalone, almost like bowl game kind of event uh, in terms of what we think that means for Utah and the pac 12. Yeah. What's your second part of it?
1: Oh, okay. So the other, the other part of it that I almost handcuffed together is, uh, is this, and I don't even know if this, this might not even be an overreaction. I don't know. Um, but I think there will be an over overreac- an overreaction that the pac 12 is already out of the playoffs. <laughs> Like, because or- <laughs> everyone is putting so much stock. And this is almost like a referendum vote for or against like the Pac-12 being a Power 5 conference, this Oregon-Auburn game. Like, you got Auburn... Who is like the sixth best team in the in the SEC? Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that that some are projecting like that anyway. And then you're playing Oregon, who is supposed to be kind of this is like the Pac-12 darling. Yeah. And so if 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 Auburn wins this game, then and I mean I almost cut, like handcuffed these two together. Like, what if Utah loses to BYU and Oregon loses? To Auburn. Like, what a dark, dark day in the Pac 12 offices that'll be.
0: Um, I've, <laughs> I was going to put this near the end just because it was going to be for LOLs because uh, I would sense that an overreaction is that Auburn's going to win 10 games, baby. That's right. <laughs> After taking down the Ducks, we're all going to be talking about the Gus and we're going to be jumping on the Gus bus and we're going to be saying that Auburn's going to win 10 games. They're a threat to Alabama and Georgia, November and Jordan Hare. Uh, dude, Auburn's going to win that game in the probably in the same fashion that they beat Washington where, you know, there's, I think that Justin Herbert and Oregon is going to be able to move the ball and then they're going to get into scoring range and there ain't a chance that they're going to be able to score against that defensive front. And yeah, like, like Auburn, I mean, Oregon's defense is really good. And I think that, you know, Auburn's not going to be able to run it up on them, but that that mentality of like we don't think that you can score touchdowns in the red zone against our defensive front uh even with that great oregon offensive line i i, I absolutely see some 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 Pac 12 uh doom and gloom kind of overreactions coming out and you know what like doesn't it, it it, does any part of you, and we don't root for things, but doesn't some part of you hope that the Pac-12 is able to produce a playoff contender, given uh, given how quickly people are just trying to bury a, an entire conference of football?
1: I would love to, I, I would love to see whether it's Utah, Oregon, Washington. Uh, I don't know who else would be realistic possibilities. But I'd love to see somebody go twelve and zero. In the Pac twelve and 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 make it to the playoffs. I mean that'd be yeah, like it's it I don't I, I don't know. Maybe some people are like enjoying this this pac twelve just uh mudsling and fest. But I I think I think strength coast to coast is a good thing. Um so yeah, get your boys USC in there. I'll be on <laughs> board <humble> with that.
0: <laughs> We're working on it. Um, okay, uh, ready for one that's just gonna absolutely knock your socks off?
1: Yeah, what you got
0: overreaction from week one Walt Bell is gonna lead the Minutemen to new heights. <laughs> Who are they even playing week one? Rutgers <laughs> uh- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Highpoint.com Stadium in Piscataway is going to be the moment of arrival for Walt Bell and his UMass football program. I think I'm calling a straight up on the field upset for UMass. Wow.
1: Do they fire Chris Ash on the spot if that happens? <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, that's – that's hey, that, that would be – that's a fun staff to root for at UMass. They're a bunch of young guys that have uh, that are sort of, you know, kind of making their way up together. And I think that'd be fun if UMass was really good. A lot but, of a lot of
0: energy. It's like, what is it? Is it you? It's uh, Walt Bell at UMass. Will Healy at uh, Charlotte. Like, there's there yeah. there's a couple of the the next gen. Uh, type head coach and head coaching staffs that are uh, we, we've got our eye on. And so my overreaction after a UMass win is that Walt Bell's the right guy for the job.
1: All right, so here's, here's one. Uh, so after Walt Bell leaves Florida State and goes and wins against Rutgers in week one, uh, everyone's going to be on the Walt Bell train. It will also – Contrasted with whatever happens in Florida State's game against Boise State, uh, we will see. I'm not even picking which side of their overreaction it is, but Kendall Bryles is e- either going to be the smartest man in college football or a total
0: fraud. I know. After week one. Oh my gosh. Great, great call. I'm glad that you included this in the way that you did because there are going to be strong feelings regarding Kendall Bryles, one way or the other.
1: Yeah, like it's hard for me to envision this game result just being like Florida State fans being like, yeah, okay. That, that worked out okay. It, we're, we're, this this season looks like it's going to be okay. Kendall Browse, yeah, about a B higher, a B plus. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to be either, holy cow, we got Walter Camp as our coach, or this is going to be like, you know, what what a joke this guy is how did how did he ever wh- why do we ever think this was going to fix anything um so that that's going to be that's going to be entertaining to 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 track
0: um i th- i think that i'm all all cleaned out you got any other reactions left in the bucket one more left okay
1: uh Brandon Peters is going to get Lovey Smith to a bowl game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, hold on. Who does uh, Illinois open against? They got Akron.
1: Okay. So Akron is going to Illinois. You got Brandon Peters is going to be the most effective quarterback we've seen in the Lovey Smith era. And L- Illinois' house of transfers. Makes some splash plays, blows out a MAC team, and all of a sudden the optimism is going to be high in Champaign.
0: Here, here's the way the conversation goes at uh, at the overreaction breakfast table. I mean, <laughs> you know, UConn, that's a win. Eastern Michigan, that's a win. And and I I, under, I know everyone else is high on Nebraska, but I mean, they've got to come to Champaign. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm looking at a four and start right here. <laughs>
1: You got Rutgers down the line. Now we're at five. Now all you got to do is upset. Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Purdue, (laughs) Michigan State, Iowa, Northwestern. You can get one of those. You can get one of those. Let's go.
0: Oh, man. Hey, so Brandon Peters, if I remember correctly, were you in a Brandon Peters believer camp? I was. You were. Yeah, I think Brandon Peters
1: is – he just I he he,
0: he didn't have the chest that Harbaugh wanted to see.
1: That's right. I think he's yeah. I think he'll be a better personality fit with with Lovey, and I think he is a genuine like. I think he is a bona fide good quarterback. Not saying he's like, you know, all American or first round pick or anything like that. I just think he is a good college quarterback, and. Uh, and I think he'll, so I think he's playing Akron and he's going to put up big numbers, have a big game and people are going to be excited about it. The most, I don't know I think they're going to make a bowl because of it. But, <laughs> but that's the
0: overreaction. That's the overreaction. <laughs> the most effective quarterback that Lovey Smith has had at Illinois. That is something to get excited about. Is that an overreaction or is that your <laughs> real prediction? That is, that is a real
1: prediction. Yeah. Uh, but I think his performance because it's against Akron is what's going to cause some overreactions.
0: All right, here's what we got coming up the rest of the week. Tomorrow, Tuesday, it's going to be Locks, Week 1 Locks Part 1. We're going to give you the Thursday and the Friday picks, uh, the ones that we have. We'll, we'll, if we don't have any Locks, for those Thursday or Friday and I'm, I'm hoping that we do. I know I'll trot out a couple. Uh, we'll also be discussing and picking some of those games. Uh, then on Wednesday, getting in into our friends from Sportsline, uh, Kenny White will stop by along with some more of the latest news and updates with uh, Barton and myself. Thursday, week one locks tackling the games from Saturday, Sunday and Monday. It's a full load of cover three podcasts for the first week of the season barton it feels so good feels right being here off and running uh our first saturday night recap podcast is uh is in the books Uh, i i like i like where the room's at i feel like the locker room's in a good place as we uh, as we take the field for week one
1: that's right yeah all the scrimmages are out of the way it's time to it's game week baby let's do it
0: Follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip Underscore Patterson. You can follow the show at Cover Three Podcast and uh, reach out with any feedback you got to any of us. Barton, thank you very much. Sure.